In this episode, we speak with Matt Aston, president and CEO of GPRS, who has built his company from an idea to over $160 million in annual revenue. GPRS, or Ground Penetrating Radar Systems, is the nation's largest company specializing in the detection of underground utilities, video pipe inspection, and the scanning of concrete structures. Matt founded GPRS in 2001, and the company has grown to be a great success in its market. Its 99.8% plus accuracy rating on over 250,000 projects leads the industry. The company has worked on some of the largest and most significant construction projects in the country. GPRS is backed by CIVC Partners. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you as well. Thank you for the opportunity. Excited to chat and hear about your journey. You're a big company now, several hundred people doing extremely well in your particular niche and expertise. Maybe what we could do is, is first kick off with, for the benefit of our audience, what GPRS does. Yeah. So just one thing uh, before I tell you, we don't like to be referred to as a big company. Um, okay. But we, what we like to be referred to as the biggest small company that you can be. That's just part of our culture. Yeah. We have almost 800 people now, but we do not want to operate as a big company. We just don't like the red tape and the bureaucracy and the inefficiency that, that comes with that. So we like to think of ourselves as a, a much bigger, small company. That's just an important piece of who we are. So Excellent. Got it. But yeah, relative to what we do, GPRS, we really serve the construction industry, the construction and, and facilities. Now with uh, a few different services, our core business, really how we got started, was anytime that a construction company has to dig or you know, cut in concrete or drill through concrete, we'll use radar to help them image you know, whatever is below the surface, you know, whether it be underground utilities or reinforcing steel or electrical conduits within concrete. That's about 70% of our business. And then over the last few years, we've added on a few more services such as video pipe inspection, where we can run a camera you know, through a sewer line and help our customer you know, see what's inside that pipe and areas that may need attention for repair or defects or you know, cross bores if the pipe has been drilled through at any point. That's a, one of our new service lines. The others are leak detection, uh, where we can work with facilities or contractors to look at an underground water system and pinpoint the location of leaks that are leading to you know, a lot of dollars lost and certainly water loss that can also damage the subsurface. Oftentimes can't be seen until it's a real problem. <laughs> and then lastly, laser scanning. So yeah, 3D laser scanning where a lot of our work is focused on the underground and laser focuses on what's above ground and can put all that into a three-dimensional model you know, for our customers to view and you know, with you know, precise accuracy. And this underground scanning that you perform, is that through proprietary technology? No, we have not developed the technology. We use a few different manufacturers of the equipment. And what we've developed, what is proprietary is our own process. 
but anybody could go buy the equipment that we're using. We've just been able to build a process that's worked well for us. And now we're doing 12,000 jobs a month or so across the country following that process that we've developed over, over the last 20 years. And how did you get into this? And I'll go back. This is probably going back over two decades, but like, how did you first get into this business? Yeah. So uh, that's a good story. I went to college for corporate finance and I was a financial analyst for Dana Commercial Credit, which was a wholly owned subsidiary of Dana Corporation. And I just realized that at 24 years old, I realized that the corporate world was not for me. I, I didn't want to be part of that that big company. And ever since I was a small child, you know, my dad had his own business and it was concrete cutting. So I remember him coming home when I was a small kid and he'd be dirty. I mean, he was out on, out on site, you know, having cut concrete all day and his business grew and you know, they got to the point where they had over a hundred trucks in the field and he grew the business. And I talked to him when I was at Dana, I talked to him about you know, coming into business with him. And at first he said, you know, Matt, that'd be great. You know, I'd love to have you come work with me. But then about a week later, he came back to me and said, you know, I think this is wrong. I think you should really do something on your own. And uh, I was a little irritated at first, but it was one of the biggest favors that, that he ever did for me. It was, it was, it kind of pushed me to do something on my own. And I talked to him, he gave me some ideas. He gave me a magazine and in that magazine, there was an advertisement for this ground penetrating radar. And I knew we could build a business off that. As I helped on his concrete cutting jobs when I was younger, it seemed inevitable that if we were cutting concrete, we were going to cut through electrical or something else that was not planned, that was not you know, foreseen. And it always caused you know, chaos on, on the job site. There would be emergency repairs and shutdowns and remembering you know, some of those events. Uh, okay, if we can help solve this problem here, we could create a really good business out of this. Mm -hmm. And so has your dad kind of served as a coach along the way, particularly in those early years as you were trying to like think through how to set up the business and get going? The best coach anybody could ask for. You know, one, of the, one of the things that he did really well was he let me make mistakes. He was ready and willing to give advice whenever I went to him. But if I didn't, yeah, he would let me go on my, my path. And even if he didn't like the path that it looked like I was going on. Yeah. That, that, that was some of the best lessons learned. You know. mm -hmm. Now, if, if we had to look at the span of time in which you've been operating and growing the business, like what points would you make about the ability to succeed over time? What do you think is critical in order to survive the entrepreneurial journey? Not only survive, but thrive. Yeah, the first one, it, it, it's, it's really obvious. When things get difficult, most people quit. And that's the first thing is you've got to find a way to plow through those difficult phases where you know the phone's not ringing. I, I remember there were a few times in the early years where I'd call my wife and say, hey, can you just call my phone? Because I, I, it, it's it's not ringing right now. I I think something's wrong with it. And yeah, sure enough, <laughs> she'd call and it'd ring. So, but the the second thing that that's really been important to me 
is you've got to build a great team around you. Any one individual is only capable of so much. And as you look to build anything, yeah, if you can have some you know, highly capable people that you can really trust and bring them together and be unified in pursuit of a vision or a goal, that's where the magic really happens. That's what happened to, to GPRS. You know, I did everything that you're not supposed to do. I hired my friends. I gave them extreme autonomy and they moved different cities around the, around the country and it worked, uh, but I, I trusted them. I knew that I could move somebody a thousand or 2000 miles away and I wasn't going to be there to oversee them. I would certainly call and, and I would occasionally visit. But I couldn't. I was I was building the business here in this area and in, in where I'm from, Toledo, Ohio. And we had somebody in Phoenix or Dallas. I would go down and visit occasionally, but I wasn't going to be there every day to help them you know, build the business. So I found people I could really trust. They were people I knew, and that worked. And they had incentive to to grow. Looking back, I never had the vision for what GPRS was going to be today. Mm-hmm. With nearly 800 employees, we have people in. 53 cities, you know, throughout the United States. I never had the vision originally, you know, when I started the company for what GPRS would be today, but it's, it's been incredible. And it, it is, like I said, any one individual, you know, me, I can only do so much, but, you know, with that incredible team of people around me, that capacity, you know, for growth just, just increases. You know, how much does economic incentive play into kind of one's ability to really focus on growth. Like for example, when you gave autonomy to the folks you really trust to go to other regions and expand, how important was setting up the right incentive structure? We had a very heavy incentive-based you know, compensation plan and it was not capped. And as it grew, those people there that were there, they were there early who really built the business in their areas. I gave them continued incentive as it grew. And then the people that came in you know, underneath them to help them in those areas as, as those areas started to grow, they also had incentive and they still do to, to this day. We, we have an incentive plan for all of our people in the field. I think it's, it's critically important and I think it can't be capped. I think you have to give people an opportunity and reward them that's proportionate to their level of performance. Mm -hmm. And does that allow you to then give them that autonomy because you know they're going to act in a certain way? So in effect, there's less kind of management that you actually have to do. I think that's true for some, but not all. There's people that thrive under autonomy, regardless of what the compensation may look like. And Mm -hmm. I think there's also people that need someone to hold them accountable and be there with them. And we, we had a few of those people early and they didn't last mm-hmm. because that was not going to happen with our company. If you didn't have the ability to be independent, it wasn't going to work. You know, that's changed now a bit. I remember a guy in our company named Jason Schaff, and he's now our marketing director, um, our VP of marketing now, but he moved to Denver. And he was all by himself in Denver. He had nobody. It was, it was just him. And his first year there, his total amount billed was like 115000 bucks. It was like half of what his goal was. 
but he stayed focused and he used his time on days that he did not have jobs. He got the nickname Dora the Explorer because she was always talking about her backpack. So Jason threw on a backpack and he would go to every construction site in Denver and you know, promote the service and meet people and talk to people. And if there was a guard at the gate, he would walk around the perimeter of the site and he would put GPRS flyers on the, the windshield wipers on their on their car. If their window was cracked, he'd drop it in their car. And he, he was just extremely focused and deliberate about building that business and using that time when he was not busy. So it would eliminate that problem. And now Denver is a great market for us. I think we have 13 or 14 people you know, providing the service in Denver on a daily basis. It started because of his willingness to do the hard thing that not a lot of people are willing to do. And did you know that he had those characteristics when you hired him that he would think of how to make it work? Yes, there are people that you can just tell. This guy doesn't have any quit in him. He's going to go. If, if, if something's important to him and he wants to prove his ability to do this, then yeah, he's going to make it work. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you spend most of your time on people issues, recruiting, et cetera? So I've got a saying now, uh, as the company's grown, <laughs> that I am directly responsible for nothing, but ultimately responsible for everything. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the time that I spend today is working with our senior leadership team. We're now private equity backed. So mm-hmm. I work with our private equity partners. I work with our senior leadership team, spend a lot of time on vision, on where we're going, trying to take us from we're roughly $160 million in revenue this year and trying to get us to a billion dollars in annual revenue. So what do we have to do along the way? We have a saying within GPRS that you know, we're not going to participate in the recession. Mm-hmm. So if, if we do see a recession coming, what do we do now? So that we're not participating, you know, when it when it comes, if we see the construction, you know, market start to slow down, we have to create to do something so we're avoiding participating in the in the recession. Did you ever think when you were starting the business, did you aim for it to be hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue? No, I, I remember standing with my father-in-law. I was helping him move, and we just finished unloading a U-Haul and. He asked me what I thought GPRS could be. And this is probably 2002 or 2003. We started in 2001. And I said, man, you know, if if we could have somebody in Toledo, somebody in Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, maybe Chicago. And if each one of those guys were doing like two to 300,000 a year, we'd be over a million dollars a year in revenue. And uh, that'd be a really great business. And, you know, fortunately, we've just been blessed, you know, again, you know, with, with the people who've come into this company, who've been part of our team, you know, we've been blessed far beyond that. But no, and, I did, the vision was not there early. And so bringing in, you know, the folks you brought in, I guess that was like your intuition to say, like, I want to give you autonomy. I want to structure this correctly because the opposite way you could have gone, which is where let's have this tightly controlled here's the comp package, and there's not as much upside. It seemed like it was intuitive to you to structure things the way you did, which led to this growth. My first job out of college was for ADP, the payroll company. Mm -hmm. I was in sales for them. And 
I might be the worst salesperson in the history of ADP. I was going to get fired. But one thing they had was they had this tiered bonus system where on a monthly basis, you know, whatever you sold, once you hit a threshold, your percentage of bonus would increase at different tiers based on the volume that you sold. And I, I thought that was genius. So that was the purpose of me you know, spending uh, seven or eight months at ADP. <laughs> I, I mimicked that bonus system when I, when I started GPRS. I can say with 100% certainty that we would not be the same company today if we didn't have the incentives that we were put in place early and if the autonomy was not given early. It was never a struggle for me. I didn't know everybody as we as we continued to grow, but especially in the early going, mm -hmm. I, I had people I could trust and we were aligned in, in the vision and in, in what this could be. I mean, we were making this work in yeah, Toledo and Cleveland and we thought, okay, if we can do this here, we can do this in Chicago and New York and Boston and DC and the whole West Coast, you know, as we look to expand this, it doesn't take a genius to figure out the majority of construction dollars are going to be spent in the larger population centers around the country. Mm -hmm. So let's just start putting people in, in these larger cities throughout the U.S. We were a little different in that we expanded our footprint throughout the country. We went wide before we went deep in any market. So yeah, now we've built depth in all of the markets that, that we serve. but. Originally, it was just, hey, well, let's get one guy in Southern California. Let's get one guy in Seattle, and we'll grow up from there. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like you didn't maybe have the cash flow stress on the business, meaning like you had very low capex to get started in a region. And so you could essentially expand as fast as capital wasn't limiting to you. Prior to private equity, we we never had any debt on the on the balance sheet, or if, if we did, it was it was minimal, like a, a building loan or something. But you know, for the business itself, no, we funded everything just out of out of cash flows. We were fortunate to be able to do that. Right. So it was basically if if you could afford the or if you had the cash flow at the time for a, a given person's base salary, then you were good to go. There were a few times that I skipped myself on payroll. Nobody else ever got skipped. Just, just, just me. But yes, we, we we were we were fortunate to be able to really fund our own growth. How long did it take before you really said like, okay, this is working, and we can press on the gas? So people ask a lot. You know, what are some of the regrets? What if I could do things over? What would I do differently? And that's one of them. I, I think I would have been a little more aggressive early on. It probably took. 10 or 12 markets where, so let's say we were probably 12 markets after nine years in business. You know, I, I came out of the field in 2007 to focus on really on growth. And we had about five markets in 2007, but once we got to 2010 or so, and you know, we had maybe 10 or 12 markets in place, it was just working in every market we were in. I mean, every market, every month revenues were greater than expenses. Mm -hmm. At that point, I, I kind of said, duh, if this is working in, in 10 or 12, let's just go do this. I mean, let, let, let's just, let's build the national model and, and become a fully national company. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And was that like five years in, seven years in? So I would say five years in from intentionality. The first five years of the company, I questioned the long-term viability of the business almost on a daily basis. And that was really just practice for me. The first five years, I was 24 when I started mm-hmm. GPRS. And I spent about the first five years in the field. And there were, there were a few other people in the company. But five years in, I think there were only five of us. Mm-hmm. So then I came out of the field and started focusing more on growth. And you know, we hired people and, and put them in the new cities. And then probably after about five years of me coming out of the field is, is when we said, hey, let's go. Let, let's, let's really do this and, and, and go big. And yeah, so that was probably 2012. Mm-hmm. What's been your success rate in hiring the right people? We've done very well. I would say our turnover, I think it's low teens, you know, per year, you know, with 800 people, that, that's, so we might be losing a hundred a year, but what we've done extremely well is we've kept the core of the company together. Managers, leaders, you know, there's some people that come and go, but we've done an exceptional job keeping the core of the company together. And as that, that core becomes larger and larger, yeah, that's what's really driven the growth, especially over the last five years. And we've gone from end of 2017, we sold the private equity. We were about 40 million in revenue. So from the end of 2017 to here we are today, end of 2023, we've gone four times growth in the last six years. And was that because you had the capital backing you? Yeah, a few reasons. It was like putting nitrous fuel in our, in our engine, you know, for the growth. I mean, if it took us 16 years to grow from zero to 40 million, and then it's mm-hmm. taken six to grow from 40 to 160. Mm-hmm. Our first private equity sponsor is a Chicago-based firm, CIVC Partners, and mm-hmm. they taught us how to do M&A. Mm-hmm. You know, we could go out and acquire a competitor. You know, grow the business and eliminate the strong competitor in a market at the same time. So in the last six years, we've completed nine acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Not only have we grown the business that way, but we have added some incredible people mm-hmm. through those acquisitions as well. When you're referring to the core team, how many people was that in the beginning? Say maybe like the first decade of the business. Was it, was it like four key people? Was it much bigger? Was it like a dozen? Originally, we had eight regions you know, throughout the country, and each region had a, a regional director. And all those eight regional directors are still here today. And, Fantastic. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, been, it's just a great, great story and just a, a great ride. Well, we're coming up on time. I'd like to end with two quick questions. One is, can you tell us about a person, and you might have already told us about this person, who's had a profound influence on you? Yeah, so there's there's several. Yeah, one recently, uh, a few years ago. So I'm I'm part of this men's workout group called F3, Fitness Fellowship and Faith, and we meet always outside, and that doesn't doesn't matter if it's four degrees or if it's eighty degrees. We're we're meeting we're meeting outside at five thirty in the morning. So a few years ago, one of my friends came into my office and said, "Hey, do you think you could get a group of guys together, like a group of fifteen or sixteen guys?" to go through a 30-hour Hell Week program put on by a couple of Navy SEALs. And 
thought about it for a minute and said, yeah, yeah we could do that. So we did. This was in 2019. So we, we went through the 30-hour program, and I had not met the two SEALs before, but one of those was Commander Mark McGinnis. And he and I have become good friends. He's, he's now on our board. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he's helped me realize over the last few years through spending time with him and just talking with him is how limited our view of our own ability is. We are so much more capable than what we realize, than what we give ourselves credit for. And if we just push, if we're willing to push and be uncomfortable, we can raise our performance from average to elite. And that's one of the messages that we've been kind of pushing through GPRS. And Mark McGinnis has been a a tremendous influence on me over the last few years, for sure. Is that part of the the 3F? No, uh, yeah. Fitness, fellowship, faith. Mark has come to a few F3 workouts with me. Yeah, but, F3, uh, yeah. The guys that I took with me to that 30-hour week program, they were from my F3 group here. In okay. Well, how tough was that 30-hour Hellweek? Uh, yeah, so it, it was it was tough. I'm not going to give any details on on what we did because you know, <laughs> okay, that would that'd be that'd be wrong to do. It would eliminate that uh, surprise for anybody who's not done it. But it was tough. I would say as mentally tough as physically. But that element of uncertainty, not knowing what's coming next, I think that's where the real magic comes from in, in that program. We've actually sent four groups from GPRS through it since I went through it with those F3 guys back in 2019. Amazing. Okay, last question. Um, can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So last September, we brought Jim Trussell in to speak to uh, our leadership summit within GPRS. And he asked me, uh, he and I were talking, Jim Trussell is the coach, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, he was the coach of Ohio State football from 2000-ish until about 2010 or 12. And so he asked me if he could make this connection. He and I were talking about family and background and kids. And I told him about my kids and he asked about their school. So he asked me if he could introduce me to somebody who played for him on the 2002 Ohio State National Championship team. So Joel Penton started this program called LifeWise Academy. And what LifeWise Academy does is there's a rule that not a lot of people know about. From 1952, the Supreme Court allows children to be released from school during school hours to hear about the Bible. So LifeWise, they started their program in 2019, and their goal is to be in 25 schools by 2025, and that's what they do. They teach the Bible to public school students during school hours. It's got to be privately funded. It's got to be held off school grounds, and the parents have to sign off on a release form. But their goal is to be in 25 schools by 2025. This year, as we start the 23-24 school year, LifeWise is now in 300 schools. Wow. And 30,000 kids per week are hearing about God and Jesus through their ministry. And that is the ministry that I am passionate about building right now. Excellent. Well, one just to add on to that, it seems like faith is a big part of your life. How has it played into business? I'm glad you asked. We've been extremely blessed at GPRS. Like I said earlier, this has gone far beyond you know, what I ever would have expected it to. 
And so you think about why, you know, why, why does that happen? And I know that it's not just for the enrichment of the Aston family. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a bigger purpose there. And yeah, I think that uh, I've been given an opportunity, a platform to live out that example that, uh, that we're called to in first Peter, first Peter two twenty one. That's the, that's the verse that I, I tend to live by because Christ suffered for you that you should follow it as an example in his steps. So that, that I, I try to live that out on a daily basis mm-hmm. and certainly fall short sometimes, but also look for those opportunities to be that example and try to have some influence on the eternal significance for sure. This is a wonderful note to end on. Well, Matt, I want to thank you again for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much for having me.